We don't need to play it. I know, but that's what makes it funny. Stop the song. <laughs> Make it stop. All right. Did he even pay that child? Is he? Is it even legal to pay the child? <laughs> that's definitely some child labor issues there. Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, author of the new hip-hop-themed children's book, One Plus One Equals Tupac. (laughs) That should have been mine. I know. (laughs) If it was season one, it would have been when I had Tupac on the brain. little callback for you, for the fans, for the true fans. Definitely. Keep your head up. Speaking of true fans, I'm the people's co-host, Jeremy Ruggles, and I am chairing the committee to put Southside Johnny back in the E Street Band, or else they need to call it the F Street Band, for failures. (laughs) Southside Johnny, huh? But what are the Asbury Jukes going to do without him? That's a good point. Yeah. They'd be lost without him. Well, I am co-host Peter Cook, and I have a friend I've never seen. He hides his head inside a dream. You're just going to do a lyric? Yeah? Okay. He hides his head inside a podcast. Ooh, okay. I've never seen him. Okay. His name is... Nils Lofgren. That sounded like some wisdom from uh, Grandpa Neil. It was wisdom from Grandpa Neil. How could it be related to this episode? Well, we're just going to have to march on through and figure that out together, won't we? Wait, was Neil in the Ringo Starr All-Star Band (laughs) 2? I sure hope so. So, Oh, what'd you bring, Sean? Oh, you guys want to talk about a record? Okay. So we're going to listen to... The second record by the band Grin, featuring the great Nils Lofgren. This is an album called One Plus One. And let's just kick it off with the first song, Side A, also known as The Rockin' Side. Track one, White Lies.
seems like a lost power pop classic right there. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what that was. It was a minor hit and more of a regional DC area hit, but it's it's ready for prime time. That's a killer song. Great way to open up the record, I think. I will say to the people who that didn't grab you, the rock inside didn't really grab me either. But wait for the dreamy side. Cause the dreamy side really grabbed me. Though I will say White Lies was probably my favorite song on the rocking side and had some quality redeeming poppiness to it. Quality redeeming qualities. Yeah. <laughs> I'm mostly it's like the songs are I think good on the rocking side, but it really bothers me when he tries to push his voice when he like gets kind of growly and stuff it's just not my personal vibe it's just too heavy for you too scary yeah i'm kind of old and i just like music to stroll to (laughs) i don't like aggression yeah if i can't listen to this record while i'm bird watching then what's the point true Actually, I need my ears to be able to bird watch. Sound is important with birds. Their calls are a big part of identifying them. Wait, what podcast are we on? (laughs) (laughs) Peter, what'd you think about the rock inside? I loved it. I was, uh, I'd say I liked the rock inside more than the dreamy side, but they were both great. Interesting. Even more than the dreamy side. See, I figured you would enjoy the rock inside, but I thought all three of us would agree that the dreamy side is where it's at. Oh, no. I think, I don't know if it's evident in the hundred plus episodes that we've done. I think I am the classic rock guy of this podcast. Yeah. I used to be more of a classic rock guy, but, you know, like Jeremy, the older I get, I seem to just, I get more and more selective with it. For me, the dreamy side of this record, Side B, is what hooked me initially. I definitely liked the song White Lies the whole time, but the more I listened to Side A, the rockin' side, there's there's some other songs that have been growing on me, for sure. I hadn't heard this one prior to you suggesting it. I was familiar with the first Grin album, because I think I introduced you to that one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I suspect that the dreamy side might grow on me. I've only listened to the album twice. So I, the, in my second listen, a lot of those songs started to stand out more to me. For sure. Well, we're having opposite experiences. This is fun. I think this is a, another album that we might have all picked different songs had it been our selection. Oh, very true. Yeah, and that was one of the reasons I wanted to pick this album, because I think it really does kind of have something for everybody if you are, you know, at least some kind of like a classic rock and pop fan. There's a good variety, and it's all quality. It's hard to listen to this album and be like, oh, these songs suck, or half of this album isn't good. Even like Jeremy said, like, the songs are good. They just may not, the whole album may not speak to you, and that's kind of cool. Sometimes they only want to listen to one side of a record anyways, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, especially when you have like 20,000 exactly. LPs in your house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> only got time for one side. Which mm-hmm. one's it going to be? Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right, Peter. I found, or I didn't find out, but I got turned on to Nils Lofgren and Grin from you doing a DJ set at the open decks night that i used to host in kalamazoo mm-hmm. he played a cut off of the first record that came out a year before this one everybody's missing the sun 
from the self-titled record. And that's still a favorite of mine of theirs. But I think that one plus one is a little bit better record overall, which is why I picked it. Yeah, that uh, self-titled is maybe a little more inconsistent than this one, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I listened to a fair amount of Nils Lofgren stuff to just because I there's several albums that really stood out to me. I just kind of wanted to figure out what all the ones were that were really good. I, I really like the first two Grin records, uh, this one in self titled, and I really like Nils's first solo record, which is just called Nils Lofgren from '75. And then after that, it gets a little more into. I don't know, like stadium rock. I just like the guitar tone wasn't speaking to me anymore and it just wasn't grabbing me. But some of his later stuff is his later seventies and early eighties stuff is some of the biggest hits that he's had. So once again, there's something for everybody on this record and throughout Nils's entire career. And what a career he has had. Absolutely. I don't know if we're going to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go ahead and play another track and then I'll go into the bio after we do a little more listening. That sounds like a solid plan. So, Peter, you had requested that we play track four from the Rock Inside, Moon Tears. Yes. This is the standout for you? Yeah, and I can say more about that when we come back. All right, cool. Here we go. Moon Tears, Rock Inside, track four. I thought for a second that I had put on a Dead Moon album. 
are either of you familiar with dead moon that's a name that was familiar to me and maybe i've listened to him more in the past but you had mentioned that comparison in the group chat a few days ago and i listened to a few songs online for the comparison and it made sense to me for sure yeah i feel like if you like put that onto a cassette and dubbed it a couple times it would uh, make it grittier and, and sound more like Dead Moon. Mm-hmm. That Dead Moon is Fred Cole from that band, The Lollipop Shop. Had that song, You Must Be a Witch, a 60s psychedelic classic. Uh, it was his band after that, uh, the Dead Moon. And it's just all that kind of gritty rock and roll. I don't know. I just heard that. And I, I guess I, in what I knew from the uh, self-titled Grin album, I, I didn't necessarily expect to hear a track that sounded like that yeah it's interesting because you'd expect with a a group that does such amazing sweet dreamy pop side pop songs on the other side that the the rock inside would be maybe closer to that like a little more like pretty rock or a little more produced but it's raw and when you look at some of the bands that he's playing with outside of his solo projects i think it makes sense most notably He's been a longtime sporadic member of the group Crazy Horse, obviously Neil Young's rock band, who are often like pretty, pretty rough, pretty gritty, pretty loose. So it it, it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this rocking side, it kind of forms a bridge in my mind between like the psyche garage 60s sound and the power pop sound that would come on a little later or right around this time and it feels like right in between kind of a blend of those things and I've never correlated those genres as having anything to do with each other until hearing this and now it feels like they're somehow directly like connected yeah music's fun like that especially you know music history just like throwing these seemingly opposite things together and realizing there's more common ground than you would have initially thought so you guys want to hear some Nils bio, some Grin bio? Yes. All right. Nils Lofgren was born June 21st, 1951. He had an Italian mother and a Swedish father. His first instrument was the accordion. He actually studied classical accordion uh, very seriously from age 5 to 15. And uh, you can hear him playing accordion throughout his career on some tracks there's even a track on the new uh neil young and crazy horse record where nils is playing some accordion behind him it's pretty cool he switched from the classical and jazz focus to a rock focus and started playing piano and guitar as a teenager and a big inspiration for that was seeing Jimi hendrix in a concert and his love for rock and roll was born in 1968 he formed the band grin And shortly after that, he met Neil Young while Neil was playing at the Cellar Door Club. And at Neil's invitation, Nils and the whole band stayed a few months at Neil's Laurel Canyon home. And then Nils Lofgren joined the group Crazy Horse in 1970, played piano and sang on the After the Gold Rush album. Yeah, I was reading that Neil wanted him to play piano because he wasn't really, you know, he was an accordion player, so he had an idea of how piano worked, but it wasn't necessarily his main instrument. He wanted him to play really simple. 
<laughs> and Nils was like, I'm a guitarist. I want to play guitar. And they were like, nope, you're, you're getting on that piano. Interesting. Well, he had been studying piano. So, I mean, it wasn't completely foreign to him, but yeah, it's definitely it, not yeah, his main I, instrument by any means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess, and I guess he practiced really hard in preparation for that too. I'll bet. And Nils having the official album credit on after the gold rush got his band grin signed in 1971 and he was like 18 at this time yeah like 17 18 yeah oh wow mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah nils has just been like a hard-working full-time musician almost his entire life it's it's impressive so grin released their self-titled debut in 1971 and then followed it the following year with this record one plus one in 1972 Grin put out four records and broke up in 1973. Around that same time, Nils also played on the album Tonight's the Night and then did the following tour with Neil Young. He put out his first solo record, which I mentioned in 1975, his self-titled album that I highly recommend. And then his most successful album is the one that followed that in 1976, an album called Cry Tough. It was a big hit and especially a hit in Europe where he has continued to have success throughout his career. So he continued to release a handful of more solo records through the late seventies and early eighties played with Neil Young sporadically, including he's featured heavily on the trans album from 82. And then (laughs) as if that wasn't like enough of a, you know, musical calling card and legendary collaborations, He's called on to replace little Steven Van Zant in the E Street Band in 1984. So uh, little Steven had recorded all of the album Born in the USA and then quit the group before the tour started. So Nils Lofgren was given the job of learning all these parts and then doing like a two-year-long world tour with the E Street Band in support of it. The E Street Band is Bruce Springsteen's backing band. Yes. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't know that... Uh... I'm surprised you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> right. Just thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> so, that, yeah, Nils has been in this band full-time for years without having any recorded material on any of the band's records. Um, he first appears on the Tunnel of Love album in 1987, which was more of a Bruce Springsteen solo record, not technically a Bruce and the E Street band. I thought that that's the Bruce album we could feature if we did a Bruce album. That would be one to do, like maybe that or the river, but yeah, those are the ones that are still cheaper and not as celebrated, but they still have some, some really good material on there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Some of my favorite boss songs around both of those. Mm -hmm. That's all you're going to say, Sean. I thought you were going to ride hard for tunnel of love. (laughs) (laughs) He will. Best record. (laughs) It's his real downer follow up to the biggest year of his career (laughs) true boss fashion for the true boss heads only bruce springsteen broke up the e street band in 1989 and during that time nils went back to doing some more solo work and he also joined another high profile band anybody know ringo star all-star band yeah he was part of the first two lineups of the ringo star all-star band i was reading some interviews with them where he was talking about how obviously the beatles were such a inspiration to him and he 
got invited to a party hosted by Ringo Starr and he made it his mission. Like, I'm not leaving this party until I get to jam with Ringo. And around two in the morning, he convinces Ringo to like set up with him, with him in his practice space and they jam and hit it off and have been friends ever since. <laughs> I'm glad that his uh, mission was successful and it didn't end up like some hustle and flow scenario. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he ended up, you know, picking up Ringo off the bathroom floor drunk to find that Ringo had thrown his demo tape into the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it very easily could have been something like that. Like <laughs> there's definitely, you know, a lot of hard work in Nils's uh, career that got him where he's at and just being the right man for the job. But there had to be a little bit of luck sprinkled in there here and there too, you know, <laughs> man, I don't like going from, playing with the boss to like Ringo's weird novelty project feels like a step down to me. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> I can't help but feel the same way, but from everything I've read, he was just like, it was such an honor and such a cool experience. And there was a lot of other great players in the early lineups of it, the all-star band. You know, I, I'm pretty sure that the, uh, Ringo's all-star band is uh, one of the only times that Nilsson ever performed without you live. Wow. Interesting. In like 1992. But yeah, like the first lineup had uh, Clarence Clemens from the E Street Band. Dr. John was in it. Two guys from the band were in it. Like there was some, you know, it's still a lot of kind of goofy material and still, you know, I'm sure some of the shows were pretty cheesy still, but like there was some, there was some heat in those first two lineups. It's an all-star band. It's an all-star band, just like uh, just like they promised. Some of the more recent lineups. I know. The, I <laughs> the quality control has gone out the window a little bit. <laughs> Sorry to any of our listeners who happen to be in any of the recent all-star band lineups. <laughs> Ringo, check out what these dopes are saying about your all-star band. All right, so last bit of bio here. The E Street Band is officially brought back together in 1999 and they made the decision to keep Nils Lofgren and bring back little Steven Van Zant. And they have both been members of the group ever since Nils is on just about all the records and tours with them. And you know, whenever he is able, it seems like, and that includes like the most recent Bruce Springsteen albums. You can hear, hear uh, Nils Lofgren playing guitar and doing some backup vocals. And then he's seen him do it. Yeah, you did see him do it. Where'd you see that happen? Bonnaroo 2009. Was he doing any, uh, any crazy stage moves? You see any high kicks or anything? I do not remember any thing. (laughs) (laughs) If you were at Bonnaroo, name name one part of Bonnaroo that you remember. (laughs) One very distinct memory. You know, I, was enjoying the festival scene and was um, semi-conscious. And all of a sudden he starts playing, fuck, what's the Santa song? Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. (laughs) And this is like his big hit and it's June in Tennessee and like 95 <laughs> degrees, even though it's dark out at this point. A bold choice and from the boss. Yeah, it was highly surreal, but I, w- <laughs> I was reading about that today because I was interested in seeing like, oh, was Nils in that lineup? Like, I don't remember. And apparently he had played 
that song because people write, you know, songs they want on the poster boards and he runs out and collects them and just picks one that he's going to do. And someone had written Santa Claus is coming to town and he decided to do that one. I feel like some part of the boss had to have known that that would be a very surreal experience for many of the attendees of Bonnaroo. So I say it was 100% intentional. Yeah, he's a man of the people. He knows his crowd. Yeah, he knows what's going on. He knows what time it is. I mean, it's the part you remember of the show. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, uh, yeah, I asked about the, the acrobatics, though, because from what I've read, Nils is, or at least was, famous for being just a very animated onstage performer, due in part to he was also a competitive gymnast in his high school years. Dang. Yeah. An accord, an accordion player and a gymnast. Yeah, he's like the less famous version of Johnny Mathis or something, you know? He's just like hardworking and just skilled at so many unexpected things. Also a, a huge basketball fan and basketball player. Interesting. Yeah, Nils, they, he had to get double hip replacement later in life because of his antics on stage and also playing basketball for most of his life. <laughs> Nils Lofgren actually sounds like a basketball player's name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this final line of bio that I have written down. So... <laughs> Nils has been an actual official member of Crazy Horse again since 2018, and you can hear him on the last two Crazy Horse records, Colorado from 2019, and also Barn, that I believe is not officially released yet. There's only like two singles on Spotify, so I don't know if the full album's out somewhere else, but he's everywhere. He's busier than ever. He released like three albums during the pandemic. Nils Lofgren is not slowing down, still a very quality player and yeah plus i mean plus he's only like what 70 (laughs) he's still young (laughs) he's got decades worth of of work ahead of him give him the dreamy side all right so we've been we've been teasing this this dreamy side for a while it's time to open it up let people decide for themselves which is the superior side oh i also must note that on on the record that i bought the rockin side is way more beat up than the dreamy side So it's going to be all scratchy as we listen. <laughs> well, the the rocking side was a little scratchier, so oh, the won't won't be side. as bad on the dreamy side. Yeah, the previous owner preferred the rocking side, but I used to own this album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're gonna play track two, "Lost a Number," which might be my favorite track on the whole record. I met someone tonight who touched my heart. I asked her to dance. She said that sounded good. I kept her company and she walked home I wanted to know her and she understood I felt in love and I was very shy I shook her hand and she gave me her number I felt afraid as she walked to her door Then she turned and said she wanted to see me some more I ran back home just as fast as I could I knew I wouldn't sleep for a week or two I made some coffee that I couldn't drink 
I knew if I won her, my dreams would come true All of a sudden my eyes started to cry Her magic number was nowhere to be found My heart was screaming when my mind realized The wind had come and stole it when I wrote it down Have you ever lost your number? It's like losing your world Have you slept on a cloud with less thunder? Have you ever lost the number of a magic girl? I need a shoulder I lost a number, I need a shoulder I lost a number, I need a shoulder I lost a number Have you ever lost your number? It's like losing your world Have you slept on a cloud with this thunder? Have you ever lost the number of a magic girl? I need a shoulder Something clicked for me this time listening to that song. The initial listening, I was like, this guy's being way too melodramatic about a phone number. This is kind of ridiculous. But now that you've put it in perspective that this dude was like 19 or something when he recorded this. You know, I was thinking a lot about that today, actually, when I was re-listening to this record a few times. It's like, you know, it's an older record and you just kind of, sometimes you can kind of judge when they get in like a little whiny and the love songs and stuff or something's a big deal. But yeah, he's 19. And in that context, it makes total sense. Yeah. <laughs> and that finally clicked. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's like when Carly Rae Jepsen came out with Call Me Maybe, and you hear it, and you think she's like 16, and then you find out she was 26. <laughs> that 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 was too dramatic about a phone number. <laughs> now, this should be, this should have been as big of a hit as Call Me Maybe. I think this sounds, I mean, I think if this had come out maybe six years before it actually did, like 19, I don't know, 65, 66, it sounds like it's from that era. And it, it, it's weird. The, the verses kind of sound almost like the kinks to me. And then it turns more beatily or something on the chorus. The chorus reminds me of like eighties, like New Zealand pop sounds like the chills or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or sneaky feelings or something like that. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I, I sent you this song a while back, Peter. And that was the thing I said, like the, the verses sound like the, like a lost kinks like b-side or something and then the chorus is just straight kiwi pop it's it's amazing <laughs> that's right that's right you did say that you sent that to me a while back and yeah that that one uh oof, that's a great one mm -hmm. that's a point for the dreamy side point for the dreamy side <laughs> when i first listened to this record i was like accordion seems like an odd choice for this song but i do love this song and then you know reading the bio i was like oh he has a strong attachment to the accordion so you gotta throw that in there Every once in a while, you know, after running like 10 years of practice on it. <laughs> yeah, I probably didn't have to give it a second thought. Like, hey, this needs something extra. Pick up the accordion. Boom. Exactly. So real quick, the band Grin at this point was Nils Lofgren on, you know, guitar, accordion, vocals, etc. And then the two Bobs were the rhythm section. Bob Burbrick was on drums. And he was also in a 60s DC area garage rock group called the Hangmen, 
that were pretty cool from the songs that I checked out. And then it's also Bob Gordon on bass, who was a local DC musician that mostly played with Grin, had a couple other things, and then I didn't see any credits after that. There's an I'd Buy That alum on here, isn't there? There is an I'd Buy That alum. We're not going to play that track, though. I'm switching it. I don't know if you got that update. Fine. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, The track Hi, Hello, Home, which you can hear on the playlist, features... Graham Nash. Nash. Yeah, he got uh, the one and only Graham Nash to come on and do some backup vocals on one track. And this is right around the same time as the Songs for Beginners record that we covered. Oh, yeah. Nils wasn't on that, though, was he? I don't think so, unless he was doing it in secret, which is entirely possible. (laughs) Everyone else was on that album but Nils. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the last two tracks on this record also feature some really cool string arrangements by a guy named David Blumberg. And when I looked up his credits, it's interesting because Nils is actually one of the few rock-based guys that he worked with. He was primarily associated with Motown and did writing and arrangement for the Jackson 5, as well as doing the majority of the arrangements on Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On. You know, it's funny. When I saw that name, I I thought it was David Bromberg. I did too at first. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, cool. Another thing that David Bromberg worked on. Makes sense. Neil Young connection. Like, oh, wait, totally different guy. Now, didn't David Briggs produce this? Yes. Okay, so it has to be the Neil Young David Briggs and not those other fake David Briggs that we talked about in a previous episode. (laughs) It's definitely the Neil Young David Briggs. Good. Yes. (laughs) I'm glad he's on the podcast, finally. (laughs) Officially. I almost forgot him, even. (laughs) But thankfully, you uh, (laughs) saved the day You made it, David. Yeah. (laughs) You made it, David. (laughs) R.I.P. You guys want to hear about this uh, playlist that I whipped together for this episode? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. I put a lot of really good overlooked power pop. You got some Rock Pile on there from the Seconds of Pleasure album. Rock Pile. Which Rock Pile was Nick Lowe? Nick Lowe and Dave Edmonds, two of the giants of the power pop movement. And Rock Pile is there semi-forgotten project that is just in the dollar bins all the time and it is a damn good power pop record we'll definitely be covering that at some point i almost did it this yeah. week but i was feeling yeah. the nils yeah i almost did it once before too and then changed my mind so <laughs> it's no it's no diss on rock pile we do love it there's just so many good records out there yeah you see that you'll see that one anytime you go into a record store if you look for mm-hmm. it Mm-hmm. It's it, it's always there and it's easy to recognize because it's very colorful. Yeah, very 80s looking. There's also another power pop record that I, is on my list of records to cover on the show eventually. The Dwight Twilly Band, Twilly Don't Mind. Mm. Mm, yeah, uh, there's yeah, some definitely need to do some Dwight Twilly at some point. Yeah, there's some early NRBQ on there. Oh man, they some doing records in the early 70s as well. Another like fellow early power pop pioneer. Put a track from mm-hmm, yeah. Graham Nash's Songs for Beginners on there. There's some Andy Pratt, some Quicksilver Messenger Service, the track I Found Love from the album that Peter covered. There's a Buzzy Linhart song, a Turtles song, the Kinks, Bachman Turner Overdrive doing their classic power pop song, Hey You. Graham Parker is on there, Huey Lewis, who we also covered. And then I put the B-side to T-Rex's big hit, Bang a Gong, Get It On the song raw ramp is on there which i think matches pretty good with the 
the rock inside of this record that still has some pop sensibilities to it. So you can find that whole playlist on Spotify. I'd buy that podcast, all one word. As Jeremy suggested when we were doing the group chat before we recorded, did you put some spirit on there? So I was torn. I put spirit on last week's playlist and I didn't want to do it twice in a Uh, row, but spirit would be perfect for this it's the you know similar time periods rock with a little bit of pop mixed in and some like kind of soul sensibilities going on too well i read that when nils was kind of rushing to learn the piano he did some studying with john locke from spirit interesting all right i'm gonna add a spirit track guys it's gonna be on this playlist (laughs) (laughs) two out of three co-hosts demanding that it be added it will happen (laughs) Excellent. One time I asked Sean Dad what NRBQ is, and he told me it's not for me because I don't like happy music. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will say, Jeremy, your spirit animal, Tom Sharpling, also despises NRBQ. Good. (laughs) I think there was an early episode of The Best Show where he was hating on them. Yeah. I, it, that was the episode where he was just hating on Al Green and NRBQ, which pissed me off. And then I stopped listening to the best show for like six months. <laughs> you got to take everything Tom says with a grain of salt. I know. I was just still salty about it. <laughs> I'd also been like listening to multiple episodes a day for weeks on end. So I was like getting a little burned out anyways. And that was just the last straw. I'm like, all right, it's time to listen to something else for a minute. <laughs> yeah. You got to have those reminders sometimes when you get a little immersed in something. You know, hey, maybe that even happens to our listeners with all that 10cc hate. No, (laughs) no, they can't get enough. My sparkling attitude. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now I just want to hear what Jeremy would have to say about NRBQ. We're going to have to do a record soon and just like get the real Jeremy opinion on NRBQ coming soon to this podcast. Yep. Sooner or later, new rhythm and blues quartet, quintet, something like that. (laughs) Well, before we uh, kind of pack things up, I just want to remind our listeners that we are, you can support the podcast on Patreon. We have different tiers that you can pledge and receive bonus content in return. That's all at patreon.com slash I'd buy that podcast. And of course, if you know you don't have the funds to help us out, you can always leave a review on the podcast platform of your choice. A few kind words can go a long way to getting the word out on this podcast to others. You can leave a review in, in your buddy's ear, too. Just, like, say it out loud to him. Yeah. You yeah. can announce your username before you say it, too, if you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can, you know, you can also, like... Shout out our episodes and your stories on Instagram, and, and you can add us at I'd Buy That Podcast. We have some listeners who do that, and I think it helps us out greatly, and it's much appreciated. All right, Sean, what did you replace the beautiful Graham Nash song with? Well, as much as I love the song Hi, Hello, Home featuring Graham Nash, I wanted to get one of the tracks that had the string arrangements because I feel like it's a really cool part of this record. And also the closing track, Soft Fun, is just a really good album closer. 
You pick soft fun. I definitely pick soft fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, hold on. You took away my Graham Nash song, and you're replacing it with one with an intro that has two things I absolutely despise. Yeah, like in the top music. two things on Jeremy's list of just like an instant hefty no thank you. Yeah, and the top two things on on my list that will say I will like this because Jeremy despises it. Uh. <laughs> And I'm going to say that the, fir- the these first, yeah, the, the children's singing and the harpsichord are definitely not my favorite <laughs> ingredients to throw into songs. And I feel like they're a little bit of a weird choice for the intro. But once you get past the intro of this song, it's one of the best songs on the whole record. I will agree with that. If you just put your fingers <laughs> in your ears and go la 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 for like 20 seconds, 30 seconds. It's closer to a full minute, I think. Oh my God. Can't wait to mix this episode, can you, Jeremy? Oh, boy. You'll have to let the the last song run for at least two minutes. True. Well, Well, any final thoughts before we dive into some soft fun? Thank you for bringing this one, Sean. Uh, Grin is very criminally overlooked band. And, you know, I hadn't ever heard anyone mention them until i think i saw kurt vile in one of those amoeba records what's in my bags recommend that self-titled album and uh i immediately was hooked and i but i hadn't gone beyond that really so thank you no problem this one's a, it's a lost classic and you know this isn't a record that's in every dollar bin but it's not too hard to find keep an eye out you'll get a copy for cheap well worth it and if you like this you know, check out all the other Grid records, especially self-titled, and definitely grab that first Nils self-titled solo record as well. Yeah, and if you're feeling really adventurous, check out his work with Neil Young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> once, you've, once you've started your musical journey with Grin and Nils Lofgren, <laughs> your second one should be Neil. And then you can get onto Bruce Springsteen, and then that's all you need to know about music. Yeah, he's on the very obscure experimental after the gold rush album (laughs) (laughs) and the very popular and not at all polarizing trans the fan favorite (laughs) (laughs) all right cool i know jeremy's excited about this track here we go soft fun thank you for listening to i'd buy that for a dollar this is peter cook signing off i'm sean hartman this is i'm jeremy ruggles and i'm running When you cry, I feel so sad You're the only friend I have There's a melody to send your feelings When you cry, I feel so sad You're the only friend I have There's a melody to send your feelings
Stopping, but she had to keep on.